Did you know you've been equipped by God? All of us are given different gifts, unique. Each one has been given a gift. That's Pastor Trent Griffith. He's talking about certain callings given by the Holy Spirit to believers. Callings like evangelist or teacher, or this one, prophet. Trent explains what a biblical prophet is supposed to do. To build up, not tear down. To encourage, not discourage. To offer consolation or comfort. Not to come along and kick the wounded, but a prophet is somebody that takes the Word of God and applies it directly and boldly with wisdom to the most practical areas of a person's life. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, if you're a child of God, you have the ingredients, the gifts necessary to build up others in the body of Christ. Did you know that? You are a gifted individual. Pastor Trent is in a series based on Ephesians chapter four. It's a series called Walk Worthy. We're going to review some highlights from this last week, and then we'll listen to the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Trent speaking at Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. We're gonna look at four measures of a church that walks worthy. And we kind of started on it last week. It didn't quite get done last week. So we're going to talk first of all about this subject of unity. Let's just kind of begin in where we began last week, Ephesians chapter four. And I'll begin in verse one, follow along with me. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then verse Two tells us those five ingredients that create unity in any church, any family, any organization. Here they are. With all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, that's forbearance, and love, eager to maintain the unity in, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. Is anybody picking up a theme in verse four? What's the key word? One. One body, one spirit, one hope that belongs to your call. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you know what the key to unity is? It's oneness. It's bringing yourself together with other people that believe the same thing. You know what threatens unity? It is a spirit of autonomy that refuses to sacrifice personal independence to belong to something bigger than yourself. Now, some of you, the reason you checked out on church and the reason why you haven't become a church member is because you tried that one time and you got hurt because the body was imperfect. And so you sit back and build up walls and isolate yourselves. And like, no, I'm never gonna get hurt again because I'm never gonna attach myself to an imperfect body. Well, the problem with that is you are not attaching yourself to the body of Christ that he promised would prevail over the gates of hell. And so a spirit of autonomy is something that will prevent unity in your family and in your church. If we can't get along in here, what, what right do we have to be believed 
out there in the world. That's what's at stake in being unified. It's the first measure of a church that walks worthy. Here's the second measure of a church that walks worthy. It's diversity. Love the balance in Scripture here. Notice here in verse 7, but... But is a contrasting conjunction. So he's now going to contrast unity with diversity. But grace was given to each one. Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I love this. Do you see the two-word phrase there? Each one. Those seven statements in verses 4 through 6 applied to everyone. But the statement in verse 7 applies to each one. You see, there are some things that everyone must believe in order for there to be unity. But there are some gifts that God has given to each one that creates diversity. There is no one else uniquely like you because, do you see it? You have been given a gift. By God's grace, he has gifted each one. Grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has given me a gift. Do you believe that? You are a gift to the church to build up the body. And nobody can uniquely do what you do. And the reason you aren't using that gift is because you do not understand the third measure of a church that walks worthy, and it's this, ministry. Until you deploy that gift for the purpose which God gave it, you haven't embraced ministry. Now, we're going to read here that ministry is modeled by Jesus. Ministry is modeled by Jesus. Now, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, but I want to give you a warning. This is a little warning label on these verses, okay? These verses are complicated. As a matter of fact, theologians and commentators can't quite come to unity about what they actually mean. And do you notice in verse 8... In your Bible, the way it's formatted, is it kind of bracketed or indented? How many of you have a Bible like that? Let me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. That's a little clue for you that are reading your Bible that Paul, who's writing this, is quoting from another place in the Bible. And he's quoting from the book of Psalms, chapter 68. Psalm 68 has 35 verses. Paul just uses one of the verses, but when somebody in the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, it's like a hyperlink. You click on it, and it takes you all the way back to those other verses. So, let me just read those verses to you, and then I'll do my best to try to explain it. Verse 8 says, therefore, notice it's that connecting conjunction. It's, he's still trying to explain unity and diversity in ministry, and so he says this, therefore, it says, Psalm 68... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So it's in the context of gift giving. But then verse 9 says this. Paul gives a little commentary on Psalm 68, and he says it this way. 
In saying he ascended, everybody underline the word ascended in verse 9. What does it mean but that he also descended, underline the word descended, into the lower regions of the earth? Verse 10. He who descended, underline descended, is the one who also ascended, underline ascended, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Everybody got it now? Everybody understand? Like, what in the world is this talking about, okay? Now listen, if you were to read all 35 verses of Psalm 68, it's a story about a conquering king who invades the territory of a rival king to set the captives free so that he can take them back to the first king's territory. And you're left wondering in Psalm 68, who is this king? But by the time you get to Ephesians chapter 4, we know who this king is, don't we? What is his name? King Jesus. What did King Jesus do? Well, first of all, he saw a bunch of captives who'd been captured by a rival king. Do you know who the captives are? That's you. And me, you see, you and I, by our sin, had become slaves of sin. We had lost our freedom to obey God, love God, serve God. And through our own fleshly appetites, we're serving and worshiping and, and subjects of a, to a rival king. And we had no way out of this. We were shackled. And Psalm 68 says that our king descended from his throne and came down this hill into the valley and he won the victory over the rival king, setting you and I, the captives, free from sin by his work on the cross and his resurrection. He descended into the lowest regions of the earth, like in a tomb. That's pretty low. On a cross, in a tomb. But what happened three days later? He ascended, and when he ascended, he led you and I and every other captive of sin who would repent and believe. He allowed us to ascend to where he came from. Do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus modeled ministry by leaving his world and entering our world so we could ascend to his world. We couldn't ascend to his world until he first descended into our world so that he can take us with him when he ascended back to his. And so that's why it says in verse 8 that he ascended on high and led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And so do you know what ministry is? Ministry is descending from where you are into where the need is. Do you understand there are captives all around us? They're sitting in cubicles next to you. They're sitting in algebra class next to you. They're sitting in Notre Dame classes next to you. They're in the mall. They're walking the streets. They're walking their dogs. They're living in homes next to you. And they're captives. And God has given you a gift the gospel of your salvation, the grace of God. 
and it is not deployed until you understand I have to descend from church. I have to descend from my home and enter into where these captives are so that I can bring them to where Jesus is. That is the picture of ministry. And so we finally, after that very confusing verse, get down to verse 12. Why did he give these gifts? He tells us, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is modeled by Jesus. Ministry is a gift, but ministry can be defined as equipping. To equip simply means to furnish or to supply. In its original meaning, it actually means to restore something to its original condition. It means to put into service or into action. It's actually used as a medical term to set a bone. And so God gives you this gift to restore relationship to the way that it was supposed to be with God. And now with that being done for you as a gift, God wants to use you as a gift to restore others. Ministry is equipping. And then finally, contrary to popular opinion, ministries work. I know some of you think that the pastors only work one day a week. Uh, not true. How many of you have ever in any form embraced a role of ministry? Raise your hand. Did you find out once you got into it, it was harder than you thought it was going to be? And do you know why? It's because people are jacked up. Ministry's hard. Equipping people is hard. And it is a long, patient process. And yet Jesus descended to where we were so we could ascend to where he is. And that is the work of ministry. It's going to the hard places and it's equipping people. It's restoring and setting things into motion. One of the things that he does for us in verse 11, some of you should have noticed we skipped that verse. Did that intentional? Verse 11 tells us about these five special gifts that God has given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I'm so grateful for, uh, from the very first time in our church, we have taught you and you have embraced this understanding that ministry is not something you hand to a few paid professionals in the church, okay? Ministry is something the paid professionals equip the volunteers to do so that two things can happen. The ministry is mutual and the ministry is multiplied. The six pastors on staff at our church cannot meet all the ministry needs. I mean, if I thought that I was the one responsible for meeting all those needs, I would not sleep well at night. But knowing that I'm looking into the faces of people that have embraced ministry and that person's been equipped and that person's been equipped. I show up at the hospital again. There's been a lot of needs. I can't get to the hospital fast enough before there's people from small groups there and they're like, Trent, by the time you got here, there are like seven people that showed up to pray for me. We don't need you right now. I'm like, awesome, awesome. That is the way the church is supposed to work, and it's happening. And for those of you that are on the fringe of our church, I'm praying for you. 
And so he gives us these five special forces, gifts to the church. And I want us to look at them in detail here in verse 11. Notice he says, and he gave, first of all, apostles. Do you see it? Let's read all five. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. Theologians kind of debate whether that's four or five, whether the shepherds and teachers are one or both. And anyway, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of put it into five categories just so that we can explain it in more detail here. But first of all, he mentions apostles. Apostles. Now, let me just say something about apostles. Apostles are pioneers equipped with vision. Now, in the strictest sense, in the entire history of the world, there were only 13 apostles, okay? This is an apostle with a big A, kind of capital A apostles. And we know who they were. We read about them in the Bible because they wrote the Bible, uh, humanly speaking, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the 12 disciples that Jesus called? So we have 12, but then we had one defector. What was his name? So we don't count him. Now we're down to 11. But they replaced that guy in Acts chapter 1 with a guy named Matthias. And so now we're back up to 12. And then a few years later, we have the apostle Paul that was added to the group. And if my math is correct, that is 13. So there were only 13 capital A apostles. But as we read in the next generation and even all the way down to our generation, God has always used people with an apostolic gift. Now listen, anytime the preacher uses a multisyllabic word in church, it gets weird, okay? So even apostolic is like, ooh, that sounds spooky. Now listen, that's just a better word than apostle-ish, but that's what it means, okay? It just, it's kind of apostles with no capital, okay? It's just, there's, no, there's a work of apostles, and you know who these people are. It's people that are pioneers, and they're entrepreneurs, and they're church planters and they go to the hard places. Apostles arrive first in Belize and in Romania and Liberia and Hungary and Greece and Valparaiso and Tampa. In every place that I just mentioned, I had a conversation with somebody in or about those places that's being touched by the ministry that's going on in Ranger. And there, there are people calling from all over the world wanting some people with some vision to help them pioneer a work all over the globe. But you know what? It's not just all over the globe. You may be the first believer in your family. You know what you are? You're an apostle. And there's some pioneering work that you gotta take the gospel there and you gotta work, it's a work of ministry. Some of you, you may be the only Christian in your algebra class or the only Christian in your neighborhood. In that sense, God is calling you to the work that is apostolish. Notice this verse, uh, Ephesians chapter two, we've already read that back in previous weeks, but it says uh, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. It's a foundational work that apostles do. The apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so we have apostles. Secondly, we have prophets. And the prophets are a gift to the church. Prophets are proclaimers. 
equipped with boldness. Now, a lot of times, prophets get a bad rap because when you think of a prophet, a lot of people think of a grumpy old guy that just wants to hit you in the face with a hammer or a Bible and say, get your act together, right? Is that the way you think of a prophet? But notice, that's not the way it's described in the New Testament. Speak to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. How many of you think the church needs more of those people? Yeah. And the church needs more people like you to do that work, to build up, not tear down, to encourage, not discourage, to offer consolation or comfort. Not to come along and kick the wounded, but a prophet is somebody that takes the word of God and applies it directly and boldly with wisdom to the most practical areas of a person's life. Thirdly, there are evangelists. Evangelists are messengers. They don't write the news, they just deliver the news. Evangelists are messengers equipped with the gospel, the good news. Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are checking out on me right now because you're looking at this list and you don't see your name anywhere on this list. Um, Apostle, no. Prophet, no. Evangelist, I don't even like people. I don't even like to make eye contact with people. I, I, these are not my gifts. Listen, even if these are not your gifts, this is your work. This is your responsibility. Notice what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. If you're going to be in ministry, you're going to need some of that. And notice he says, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. You say, I'm not an evangelist, I don't have to do it. Well, then just do the work of an evangelist. And you might find out that you can develop a skill, and underneath that skill, there really is a gift that you didn't know you had until you started to deploy into the ministry. If you sit on the hill you're never going to find out what the gift is. It's not until you descend the hill and start mixing it up with the captives that you discover that you can do things under divine empowerment that you would never do in your own humanity. And so do the work of an evangelist. And then he goes on and he mentions shepherds or pastors. Same word in the original language. Pastors are shepherds equipped with leadership. Now, if God gives the church shepherds, what does that imply about people in the church? They're sheep, which is not a compliment, okay? Because sheep, they can't feed themselves and they can't lead themselves. You know what they need? They need shepherds. And look at this verse in Jeremiah chapter three. It says, I will give you shepherds. God is such a gracious God to give us exactly what we need in the church. I will give you shepherds after my own heart. And look at what they do. They will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So you're not left to your own intellect. You're not left to your own education. 
God gives shepherds, and I'm so grateful for so many shepherds and small group leaders around here. I call them micro-pastors or micro-shepherds around here, and they do the work of the ministry and mix it up, and and they do exactly that. They're shepherds, shepherds after God's own heart. And then finally, teachers. Teachers are instructors equipped with clarity. So what's the difference between a teacher and a preacher? I don't know, and apparently Paul didn't make too much of a distinction when he was talking to Timothy because notice the way this verse goes. Preach the word. Oh, he's talking to preachers. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And what do these preachers do? They reprove, they rebuke, and they exhort with complete patience and teaching. Oh, it starts with preaching, it ends with teaching. I'm not sure we're preaching stops and teaching starts. It's just instruction about who God is and who you are and how you can be made right with him. And it's equipping and it's loving and it's patient and God gives gifts. Now listen, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but you are not walking worthy of your calling until you descend and start doing the work of an apostle, of a prophet, of an evangelist, of a pastor, of a teacher. All of us are given different gifts, unique. Each one has been given a gift, but if it's not deployed for the purposes of building the body up, do you know what your problem is? You've got a problem with maturity. And I'm trying to equip you right now, and I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack it, but look down here in verse 13, as he talks about the essential measure of maturity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. I love that two-word phrase, children tossed. Does that bring any um, memories in your mind? Do you remember when your kids were small? What would, you, what, what would dad do with them? It was just toss them. Just, they were happier in the air, you know, and you try to convince mom, it's, it's, it's no, I mean, it's, that's a dangerous place to be. A child who is tossed is very vulnerable. God doesn't want you to be like that. He wants you to grow up into mature manhood. Not tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love We are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, for from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is properly working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the measure of a church that walks worthy. That's Pastor Trent Griffith. So here are a few questions for you and me to consider. How has God uniquely gifted me to be able to build up His people? How can I serve in my local church? What special ability or calling do I have that will encourage and edify those around me? And what do I need to do to exercise it? Well, if you don't currently have a body of believers that you meet with on a regular basis, why not look into Gospel City Church? For more information about service times and where we meet, 
just go to mygospelcity.org. Click where you see I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook for more great content by searching for Gospel City Church. When was the last time that you were so convicted about something that needed to change in your life that it brought you to tears? That's something that Pastor Trent will address next week right here on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word and the gifts of the Spirit would resonate in your heart and in your life this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.